So today we continue or finish our series, Villains and Heroes, on the book of 1 Samuel. And we've looked at different people's lives in the book of 1 Samuel. And the interesting thing you begin to discover is that each one of us has a bit of a villain and a bit of a hero within us. That every single person on this planet has the ability to go and become a villain or become a hero. And today we're going to take a look at Jonathan's life and that a true friend is true through it all. And before we take a look at that, I just want you to think about who is somebody that you would consider a best friend or a true friend in your life? Maybe it was a best friend or a true friend for a season or maybe it's somebody right now. But throughout life, all of us have probably had best friends or people we consider true friends. We might have met those people in high school or college or in some ministry opportunity or in the military or just in a neighborhood. But all of us probably have people we can call true friends in our life. One that I currently call a true friend, and I hope if you're married you can say this about your spouse. I look at my wife Nami as a true friend. If you don't look at your spouse as a friend, there's some other issues you probably need to take care of. Also, growing up, I realized that I had some true friends because I had a mullet for a long time. If you don't know what a mullet is, uh, it's clean cut in the front, and yes, I don't have any hair anymore, but nice and shaggy in the back. And only true friends would hang out with somebody looking like that. But who would you consider a true friend? Because Jonathan was truly a true friend to David. So let me just give you a little background about Jonathan so we can kind of know where he's at and what's going on in his life. Israel had entered the land that God had promised them. And as they entered the land, they asked for a king after many years. And God gave them King Saul as king. As King Saul rises to this position of power, he places his son Jonathan over a thousand military men in his army. And one day he sends out Jonathan to go and fight in a town named Geba. And Jonathan goes to this town with his military men and he wipes out these people called the Philistines just in that town. Well, the bigger Philistine army hears about what happened and they send their whole army to attack the Israelites. So King Saul gathers his whole army to meet the armies of the Philistines. And Saul is waiting for Samuel, the prophet in Israel, to come and bless them and offer a sacrifice before they go and fight. Well, Samuel doesn't show up for seven days. And Saul's army begins to scatter as this Philistine army is approaching. Finally, Saul takes it in his own hands to offer the sacrifice and God is displeased with him. And Saul, over a period of time, destroys his own life and reputation and kingship because of his bad character. But at the same time, as the Israelite troops are scattering and the Philistines are gathering, Jonathan decides with just his armor bearer to go and check out what's happening in the Philistine army. So he leaves under the cover of night, just the two of them, and this is what he says to his armor bearer. Let's go across to the outpost of these pagans, Jonathan said to his armor bearer. Perhaps the Lord will help us, for nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle whether he has many warriors or only a few. 
So Jonathan, right away, we see that he is a man of faith, a man of courage, a man of war, and a man that understands that God is ultimately in charge. And he steps out and takes a risk. Just him and one other guy goes to fight the Philistine army. He ends up climbing up this hill, and he kind of tests God and says, God, if they tell us to come up to you, then we know that you've given them into our hands. And so they tell them to come up to him, and he goes up, and him and his armor bearer begin to annihilate people, and they just the Philistines begin to flee in front of him. And the whole army all of a sudden panics, and the Philistines scatter. And there's a great victory for the nation of Israel that day because of Jonathan and his armor bearer's courage and their trust in the Lord, even in insurmountable odds. Well, time goes on, and King Saul once again is told to go out to battle by God. And he doesn't obey completely. And so after that, Saul begins, God begins to remove the kingship from Saul. At the same time, David is anointed as king, but not positioned as king. And then many of you are probably familiar with the story of David and Goliath. That Goliath comes to confront the armies of Israel. And David steps out as the only one who's willing to confront this giant and ultimately kills this giant. A lot of times we sanitize this story, but after David kills this giant, he chops off Goliath's head with Goliath's own sword, and then he's called before King Saul while still carrying the head of Goliath. So here is David in front of King Saul holding the decapitated head of Goliath. And Saul's asking him questions about his life and whatever else. And here's what it says in Scripture. After David had finished talking with Saul, he met Jonathan. So this is Jonathan and David's first meeting. There was an immediate bond between them, for Jonathan loved David from that loved David. From that day on, Saul kept David with him and wouldn't let him return home. And Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as he loved himself. Jonathan sealed this pact by taking off his robe and giving it to David together with his tunic, sword, bow, and belt. This is their first meeting together. And here's the first few things that I see right away in this passage. Friendship takes time. Just because David and Jonathan met that day, it didn't mean they became best friends instantly. It also says in that passage that Saul told David that he was now going to stay full time in the army. Before that, David was spending time between his home and in Saul's presence. But now David would be there full time. So Jonathan and David had a lot of time to get to know each other. David was now in the military. And I imagine they had many conversations about life and about wars and about many other things. And this love that's expressed in this passage is not like a weird, awkward, kind of twisted love. I believe this is affinity of two warriors to one another. If the first time you met somebody, they were holding a severed head of a giant... You have to be a certain person to be attracted to that kind of person, right? And so here Jonathan is, it says right away there was this affinity, this attraction, but it took time to develop. And friendship takes time. Also, friendship, friends show trust through their actions. 
That they simply don't just say that they're friends, but they do things that show that they actually can be trusted. It states in this passage that Jonathan and David formed a pact with one another, a covenant with one another, that they said, we are committed to this friendship, and they somehow signed, sealed, or had people witness that they were truly friends. On top of this, we read that, he, that, da- that uh, Jonathan gave David his robe, his tunic, his sword, his bow, and his belt. I don't know what Jonathan was left wearing, but it seems like he just about gave him everything. But as he's sitting there and gives him all these things, you have to understand Middle Eastern culture. That if you are in a position as a king, and you even give one item to a person, that is considered an extravagant gift. But to think about what Jonathan gave as the son of the king to David. He gave his tunic, his robe, his bow, his belt, his sword, his weapons to David. And in this, he was not just saying, here's a nice gift for you. He was literally saying, I recognize, David, that you're going to be king one day and not me. And to think about that as the son of the king, you're next in line for the throne as Jonathan. But in this meeting, you basically say to David, by your actions, I'm committed to you. And also, I recognize you are going to be king one day, and I'm not. And friends show their trust through their actions. Now, if you read in the book of 1 Samuel, you'll see that at this point, King Saul begins to decline and David begins to rise. David is now serving in the army and he's having victory after victory. And King Saul becomes jealous of him and begins to try to kill him. Now to begin with, Jonathan kind of mediates between Saul and David and sort of makes everything copacetic and good. But then one day David is in the presence of Saul playing his harp and Saul becomes full of anger and angst and takes his spear and throws it at David to try to kill him. David flees from Saul's presence and goes to his house. And Michael, his wife, who's actually the daughter of King Saul, tells him to run away. And he takes off and flees to preserve his own life. Now, after a period of time, Jonathan comes and he finds David. And and Jonathan believes that King Saul really doesn't want to kill David. but But David is like, no, this guy has thrown a spear at me. And he really does want to kill me. Um, But Jonathan is like, no, I don't know. And so they agree that they'll test Saul to see what's going on here. And this is what Jonathan promises to David. He says, I promise by the Lord, the God of Israel, that by this time tomorrow or the next day at the latest, I will talk to my father and let you know at once how he feels about you. If he speaks favorably, favorably about you, I will let you know. But if he is angry... And once you killed, may the Lord strike me and even kill me if I don't warn you so you can escape and live. May the Lord be with you as he used to be with my father. And may you treat me with the faithful love of the Lord as long as I live. But if I die, treat my family with this faithful love, even when the Lord destroys all your enemies from the face of the earth. Can you hear Jonathan's commitment to David? 
that if I go back to my dad and find out good news, I will tell you. But also, if I find out bad news that my dad wants to kill you, I will come back. And I guarantee that I will kill you. I, I, will, I will allow you to escape and flee from my father because I believe that you will be the next king. You can also see that Jonathan has identified that God has removed his presence from his father. Do you see those words in there? That may the Lord be with you as he used to be with my father. What a sad condition for King Saul to be in. But also what an incredible thing for Jonathan to identify. That God was with David as he used to be with his father. So before they leave, we read in verses 16 and 17. Jonathan made a solemn pact with David saying, may the Lord destroy all your enemies. And Jonathan made David reaffirm his vow of friendship again. For Jonathan loved David as he loved himself. These are two brothers, not physical brothers, but people who are such deep friends. That this true friendship was true through it all. These two men weep together, recognize that they aren't going to be able to share life together. And Jonathan heads back to meet with his dad. He quickly finds out that his dad wants um, David dead. And the whole interaction between Jonathan and King Saul shows that ultimately David is not safe to ever come back to be with King Saul. So Jonathan returns to meet with David and tell him what had happened. And he once again says in 1 Samuel 20, verse 42, At last Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, for we have sworn loyalty to each other in the Lord's name. The Lord is the witness of a bond between us and our children forever. Do you see a little pattern here? That again and again they covenant with one another. They bond with one another. They show loyalty to one another. There's all these words that says, We are in this together. That no matter what's happened, we are going to be true to one another. And even beyond that, if something happens with you and I, we're going to be true to each other's families. These are friends who are going to be true through it all. So David goes back and flees from King Saul. Jonathan goes back by his father. And there's only one more interaction with these two men. David is on the run, and somehow Jonathan locates him. And here's what Jonathan says to him in their last interaction in 1 Samuel 23, 16 to 18. Jonathan went to find David and encouraged him to stay strong in his faith in God. Don't be afraid, Jonathan reassured him. My father will never find you. You are going to be the king of Israel, and I will be next to you, as my father Saul is well aware. So the two of them renewed their solemn pact, before the Lord. Again, they renew their commitment to God. And what you also see in this section right here is that a true friend will encourage you towards God. That if somebody truly has your best in mind, they will encourage you and point you towards God. The verses I just read were from the New Living Translation, but listen to how these verses are said in the ESV. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horesh. And strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. 
That word hand there, used twice, is the same word. And in the original language, it simply means power, authority, control, the one who ultimately can do what needs to happen. And Jonathan goes to David and strengthens David's hand in the Lord's hand. That he basically says, David, you don't have to worry about the hand, the power of my father Saul. But you need to take your hand and put it in God's hand and trust that he is the one that's ultimately in control. How often in our lives do we live in fear of somebody's hand? The hand of sickness. The hand at your job of your boss. The hand of a spouse. The hand of conflict. The hand of fear. We start holding on to this hand down here instead of reaching our hand up and grabbing a hold of God who's ultimately in control and will fulfill his purposes. And Jonathan goes to David and says, don't fear the hand of my father. Grab a hold of God. Whatever's happening in your life, grab a hold of God and and recognize that ultimately God's going to fulfill his purpose. A true friend will encourage you towards God. Also, we see in this passage that a true friend sees a future together. That Jonathan saw a day in the future where David would become king and Jonathan would stand by his side in support of him. It wasn't that day, but it was some point into the future. If you have a friend or somebody that you claim is a friend and all they see is short term right in front of you, are they really your friend? If you ask somebody, where do you see us as friends in a few years? And they go, well, I don't see a future. Is that a good friend? I remember serving at a different location, not this one, so don't hear this about this church. But I remember a leader in front of a group of leaders saying that their goal was to exhaust the volunteers. And then they went on to say, when I mean exhaust the volunteers, I mean exhaust our volunteers. That is not a friend. That is somebody who's looking to get as much out of you as possible now with nothing with regards to your future in mind. My goal here is not to exhaust anybody or to burn anybody out. (laughs) But how many people? I've had way too many people in ministry that I've talked to that have gotten burnt out on ministry. Because somewhere in that leadership thing, people are not looking towards the future and saying, it's better that you're healthy than simply how much work I can get out of you right now. And when you look towards a friendship and you look towards a future, it's not just about what somebody can give you now. It's about seeing long term. Or think about another situation. If if somebody is taking advantage of you and you say no, and then they come back to you and say, well, you're not my friend then. All they're seeing is what you can give to them now, but with no concern for the future of your friendship. But Jonathan saw a future. And he said, as I look out, I see that we're going to be in a position where you're going to be ruling, John, David, and I'm going to be by your side. We also see here that a true friend is fine with being second 
I'm very competitive. I don't like to be second. I'd much rather be first. When I'm going to go and play a game, I want to win, and I play to win, not to come in second. But when you think about this, Jonathan had every right to be in that position as the next king. He should have been the next king. But he willingly gave that up and said to David, I'm willing to be second. I'm willing to give you control. I'm willing to take a back seat to you. I'm willing to allow myself to champion you as you shine and as I fade into the background. And isn't that a picture of Christ right there? That Christ gave up the glories of heaven to come to us. And he said, I'm not going to hold on to my position of prestige and power, but I'm going to come and I'm going to come as a servant to you. And Jonathan is a model of Christ as he willingly gives up his position and allows David to rise. Jonathan and David are an incredible example of true friends. That they were friends that were true through it all. That everything that life brought to them, they continued to be, made, to be great friends. So what about you? When you look at your own life, who would you consider your true friends that have been true through it all? If you're anything like me, there's not a lot of them. But I have a few that through whatever season of life, whatever's happened, they have remained true to me. My wife is one of them that I consider her my best friend. And like I mentioned before, if you don't look at your mate as even a friend, you probably need to get some help. <laughs> but my, my wife is a, a great friend. I have another gentleman that's not blood, he's not related. But when I talk to him or his wife, they pray for me and my family every single day. And that throughout different seasons of my life, they have remained true through it all. So who would you identify as true friends in your life? And maybe you might not be identifying some right now, but here's some simple principles to help you find a true friend. First, take some time to pray. Go before God and say, God, I want to have a good friend. I want to have a true friend that will be true through it all. And I believe in time, God will bring you that person. And it takes time, it takes effort, it takes energy, but God will bring you that person. Also recognize that you need to be a true friend if you want to find true friends. It's this old principle of marriage when somebody is looking to get married and they're saying, I can't find a person that I'd want to marry. Oftentimes we say, become the person that you'd like to marry and then that other person will come along. So learn to be a true friend. Evaluate your relationships, how you interact with other people. Are you a true friend? Are you true through it all? Do you point people towards God? Do you invest time in your relationships? Or do you just magically expect somebody to come to you and be a true friend to you? And lastly, remember Jesus is ultimately a true friend. That all of the relationships in our life, every single one, if you're married, your spouse, if you have children, that dynamic, if you have parents, if you have coworkers, neighbors, whoever else, do you know that everybody will disappoint you on some level throughout your life? 
And if you only focus on relationships here, you will miss that there is only one perfect friend, and his name is Jesus. And he didn't just say that he was a friend. He demonstrated it. And we read in John 15 a few words of his. And Jesus states, This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. That's a great principle for friendship right off the bat there. Love each other as he has loved you. And then he goes on to explain how he has loved. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And if you know the story of Jesus, you know that he laid down his life for the world. He came as a sacrifice for you and for I to restore us in relationship with the living God. And so in other words, Jesus has already said to everyone, you are my friend, that I desire a friendship with you, that I have made a way to have a relationship with you. He has said, this is what a friend looks like. But now it's just a matter of what we do in response to him. Jesus already demonstrated what a sacrificial friend and a perfect friend looks like. But have you reached out and said, I want to be a friend of Jesus? He already has said, I want to be your friend. Jonathan is an incredible example of friendship. And he follows in these amazing patterns of Jesus. That he was a true friend that was true through it all. He never abandoned David in his time and Eve. He never walked away and he said, no matter what comes along, I will be true to you. I'd encourage you, if, if you don't know Christ this morning, I'd encourage you to take a look in Scripture at who this Jesus is. And you'll be surprised to find that he is the most incredible person ever who has given everything for you and invited you back into relationship with the living God. And also I'd encourage you to discover true friends by being a true friend. Because we all need people who will be true through it all in our lives. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would meet with us this morning. And friendship is tough. Lord, it's not easy to have long-term relationships And Lord, we know that it's difficult to remain true and committed. And also I see in myself that I fail as a friend often. But Father, may you meet with us and may you encourage us forward with the model that David and Jonathan had with one another. And ultimately, may this point us towards you, Jesus, that you are a true friend that has put out an olive branch of friendship to the world and invited us to come and discover what it looks like to be a friend of God. And may we respond to that invitation to be a friend of God, and also may we respond and be true friends to others around us. In Jesus' name, amen.